Hi, and welcome to The Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Leslie Block and Zoe Bisbing, both New York City-based adolescent eating disorder psychotherapists and mothers of two, here to help you help your children fully bloom. We're excited this week to be joined by Lisa Hendrickson-Jack, a certified fertility awareness educator and holistic reproductive health practitioner who spends her days teaching women to chart their menstrual cycles for natural birth control, conception, and monitoring overall health. But Leslie, why did we want to bring Lisa on to talk to our audience? Well, first of all, she wrote this book, The Fifth Vital Sign, and in that book, she really poured through all the research on the menstrual cycle. And one of the things that stood out to me about wanting to talk to her is that our puberty episode is still remains the most popular episode, which made me think we should talk about this more. People are interested and there is a real relevance to body image, body positivity, and particularly kind of the onset of menstruation, but the fact that both you and I have had this conversation multiple times. In fact, I don't know if you remember. I do. I was just about to say <laughs> when we were in uh, Phoenicia yeah. on our retreat. Zoe and I went on a retreat um, as we were hatching the idea of the Full Bloom Project, and one of the major conversations we had on that retreat was tracking our menstruation and how related it felt to the Full Bloom Project. So it's interesting to kind of have it come Come full full circle. circle. Well, I think I I remember joking with you that we had already had two babies and we were still like, how does this whole thing work? (laughs) Like trying to get to know it. and Or just every month still having not a real relationship, you know, not really knowing so much. And honestly, like what Lisa talks about with us is how valuable it is to teach girls how to really understand their menstrual cycle as soon as possible. And I started understanding it when I was trying to get pregnant. And I was so pissed off that (laughs) I had, it could have been so much easier had I been tracking it for my whole life. (laughs) But also like how empowering it really can be to really think about the menstrual cycle as, as she calls it, a fifth vital sign and one that can really help not just inform you or your physician about whether or not something's off, but also just to get to know your body. And I think it's a really nice way to forge an embodied relationship with the body. And yeah, I think it's... yeah. Yeah, again, just reiterating that health is not about weight. It comes in all different sizes and that the menstrual cycle is a piece of health often overlooked um i do also just want to note as we're talking right now that one of our other retreats was also really connected to at the arlo hotel oh yeah was connected to the menstrual cycle as well right and in terms of looking at different products that help girls get comfortable with that so that's right so yeah yeah so welcome lisa to the full bloom project Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
We are too. And let's start just by hearing a little bit about you and what brought you to your work as a fertility awareness educator. Oh, well, in my case, I discovered fertility awareness when I was quite young, I think. I was about 18 years old and I had been on the pill for, you know, painful periods and they were also heavy. And that was how the only way I knew how to figure that out in high school. And so when I actually needed birth control, I was a bit skeptical because I remember I had read the pamphlet and if you ever took it late or missed a day, uh, and I did that a lot because I wasn't taking it for birth control, I felt like I would always be nervous about a possible pregnancy and I was worried about that. (laughs) For some reason, that felt like a really big deal for me. And so it was right around that time that I thought to myself, okay, if I'm going to use the pill and be scared all the time, then I may as well just use condoms. And if I'm using condoms all the time, then I don't need the pill. So in my case, because I was on it for birth control, or because I was on it to, you know, manage my periods, whenever I would come off of it, the periods would just be just as bad. So I had the Mm -hmm. sense that it wasn't actually fixing anything. So all of this was going on. And right around that time, I discovered fertility awareness. And like most women who discover it, it was the first time I learned that you were not fertile every single day of your cycle. There's only a short window and you can figure out what that window is by paying attention to your cervical fluid and your you know, cervical position changes. And I remember just, yeah, really gravitating to it because I felt for the first time like I was in control of my cycle. <laughs> and so that was my start, kind of my entrance into it. And then throughout the years, I was able to discover some health issues through charting. I had really long cycles that were uh, and my temperatures were really low. And one of my charting instructors looked at my chart and kind of said, you know, Lisa, your cycles are too long and your temperatures are too low. I think you should get your thyroid checked. Mm. So that happened pretty early on. And that was my introduction to the concept that your menstrual cycle is more than just about having babies, that it's actually a window into your health. And so like fast forward it forward to now, I've been teaching women to chart their cycles for nearly 20 years. And I'm still just as passionate about sharing this information because even though for me, it's not new information anymore. Uh, most of the women who I talk to and most of the women who discover my work are still just amazed. And the the comment that I hear the most is like, you know, how come, how come I'm like 30 years old and I had no idea about this stuff? Like, how come mm-hmm. no one ever taught me about this? So uh, that that's hopefully that sums it up. <laughs> it's, it sums it up beautifully. And it also it just it reinforces my enthusiasm for not just talking to you, but for bringing you to our audience, because for parents even of young children, and many of our listeners are raising girls, you know, or kids that biologically are female and will have have a reproductive system to be aware of. And I know Leslie and I have spoken about this together, just even as as moms, like so many of us just don't have much insight into our periods, our cycles, our fertility, um, certainly not as much as we could. And it makes it a lot harder to then try to educate our kids and even take advantage of this platform that we have, right? And so I, I just think that even what you were saying, like when you identified that you had this rhythm in your body, like that it feels very different to be in your body when you know what's how it's working than when you're sort of like completely disconnected from it. So I, I see a lot of parallel between what you're doing and sort of what our our parents could benefit from both for themselves and then also for their kids. Yeah, I think also, you know, we've our, one of our most popular episodes was our puberty episode um, and that, you know, we've really in kind of body positive 
world and, and body and eating disorder world, we all kind of are aware that puberty is really a critical time period. And we're just excited to talk to you about your concept of the menstrual cycle being a vital sign um, and the idea of educating as soon as we can so that our kids are connected as soon as they can be. So we wanted to start with just asking you to help us understand why you feel um, the menstrual cycle is a vital sign and how to integrate that into our world. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, at the most basic level, if you think about the, the vital signs that we are most familiar with, so heart rate, body temperature, respiratory rate, and blood pressure, we all have a sense that you know, all of these are, give us an insight into our health. If you go to the doctor, we know that there's an established normal parameter for all of those signs. And for instance, if your body temperature is too high, if you have a fever, or if your blood pressure is too high or too low, not only does it tell the doctor that there's something going on, but it gives a specific roadmap. So the doctor knows, okay, these are the things that might cause the temperature to be too high, or these are the things that might cause the blood pressure to be too low. So it does provide some insight into general health, but also a roadmap to specific things that could be going on. And as women, I mean, for any woman who has been paying attention to her cycles and charting her cycles over the long term, then she'll have likely already noticed maybe consciously or unconsciously, that her cycles do adapt and change based on what's happening. And so in the same way that your other vital signs would change, uh, I think some of the most obvious examples would be, for instance, a woman who loses their period. Um, you just mentioned disordered eating, you know. Uh, so if a woman is struggling with a severe, moderate to severe eating disorder, losing your period is very common when you are not eating enough food, <laughs> getting enough nutrition. And that's a sign that basically your body is starving. And one of the side effects of when a woman loses her period, so in a case like that, um, it's referred to as hypothalamic amenorrhea, HA, and it's uh, characterized by a combination of undernutrition, overexercise, or stress. So it can be like a combination of all three. And one of the uh, side effects of that is rapid bone loss. And women who lose their periods for an extended period of time are more likely to develop osteoporosis in their lifetime. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's a, a pretty clear example as to how your menstrual cycle can be like a vital sign. Because if you lose it or if you, even if it's not so severe and you don't lose it, but if you have disrupted ovulation, irregular cycles, extreme pain, moderate to extreme pain with periods, all of those are signs of a deeper issue. And just to, as a, a thought, as you were talking about, you know, your puberty episode being the most popular, it made me think about obviously menarche, so a girl's mm -hmm. uh, first period, and also how our culture looks at periods, right? Pretty negative. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm sure, I'm hoping it's different now, but I know when I was uh, first, you know, in those classes that they do in junior high school, it was really like, you get your period, now you can get pregnant, make sure to clean that up, don't make a mess in school. The, <laughs> the mm -hmm. education was really like, we don't want you to make a mess in school, you can get pregnant now at any day of the cycle, which isn't correct. Um, and so there wasn't really a whole lot of positive information about periods. So I just wanted to share that for me, when I discovered how my cycle works and how my body works, I was still a young lady. Um, you know, I wasn't a, I was still a teenager, I guess I was in my late teens. But what really opened up for me, in addition to 
everything else, like the knowledge and all that, was that now I really understood my body and appreciated it more. And I knew that my period wasn't just this horrible thing. I knew that my periods were actually not supposed to be painful and horrible, and that they were a reflection of my health. So it helped me to develop that more of a positive relationship with my body, if if that kind of, I just thought I'd share that. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's so, the prevailing question I'm having right now is, okay, how do we teach right now what a normal healthy menstrual cycle looks like? And how, one of my, my questions kind of within that question is, what is it meant to look like? Or can you speak to the beginning of it? Um, particularly for Menarche and right after that, because it seems like that's when I'm seeing a lot of kids be put on birth control pretty early because there's some kind of what they feel is irregular um, about it. And I think that's just one of those moments in time that we can actually learn a lot more than just let's put let's go on birth control. So can you talk to us about what normal healthy menstrual cycle looks like and then what the beginning of a normal healthy menstrual cycle looks like? Yeah, that's such an important question. Uh, So when I was researching for the book and also throughout my training and over the years, what's interesting is that there are different stages of life. (laughs) Um, And so there's this one study that's really, really interesting, and they studied thousands and thousands of women. So they had thousands of cycles over a long period of time. And so in the study, they had cycles from women from menarche to menopause. And what they discovered were three distinct phases of cycles and how they kind of normalize. So during the first five years post menarche, if you think about it, I mean, when I was a teenager, and I started developing and going through puberty, uh, I didn't just like wake up one day and have breasts. First, I had these breast buds, and they were uncomfortable and sore. And it took a couple of years before they actually fully developed into breasts. And even then they didn't, you know, there were still other additional stages of development after, you know, pregnancy and breastfeeding and lactation, all of that. And so I just share that because then when you start your period, it actually takes a couple of years before your cycles fully mature and normalize. Um, So that first five years post-menarch is like one stage of development. And then once you get past that, you have what was referred to in the study as middle, it was like the middle life phase. But basically, that's what we think of then when we think of uh, the menstrual cycle. Although the myth is that the cycle is always 28 days, 28 or 29 days represents the average cycle. But that's for like a grown woman with a fully mature cycle. And then we have like the 10 years before you hit menopause where your cycles kind of change again. So to answer your question about what it looks like when you first start um, menstruating, the average cycle length for that first kind of five-year period post-menarch is more like 45 days instead of the 28 or 29 days. And so what that means is that it's quite common uh, for women to have more cycle irregularities, young women, during those first few years after they start menstruating. And that's just because we're still growing and our bodies are still um, figuring it out. It's it's just like, that's why I like the analogy of the breast buds, because we all get that you don't just like wake up with breasts, like it takes time to grow. So why wouldn't it take a little bit of time for our menstrual cycles to normalize and for the communication between our hypothalamus and pituitary and ovaries to, for that to kind of mature and become more robust? So when you put a girl on the pill, like within the first year or two that she starts bleeding, um, because her cycles are quote unquote irregular, you're actually interrupting that natural maturation process. 
And what can happen is that when she finally does eventually go off the pill, when she's you know ready to start her family or whatever the case is, her body is going to continue and finish that maturation process. <laughs> so just, yeah, that's it's kind of like a big topic to talk about the pill in, in and of itself, but there's other things going on. So I'll just point out something else that's also really important just to know for teenage girls. Um, as women, we uh, gradually develop bone mass and we don't reach our peak bone mass until we're in our 20s or 30s and in some cases, even our late 30s. So bone mass, right? Like who thinks that that's related to your cycles? But it is because I've already mentioned that if you lose your period, it's also associated with the rapid bone loss. So one of the challenges of putting young girls on the pill is that your bones haven't fully developed yet. And when you put a girl on the pill, um, it inhibits and in some cases can actually inhibit her ability to fully ever get to that peak bone mass that she would have if she wasn't on the pill. Our cycles, in the first half of our cycles before ovulation, we make you know, estrogen as we approach ovulation. And then after ovulation, our ovaries are producing progesterone. And estrogen and progesterone play separate but important roles in the development of our bones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean... So you, kind of, yeah. you kind of answered this question then about why regular ovulation is important for optimal health. Yeah. And I mean, um, the bones are just a part of it. It's not the only thing. Yeah. I mean... We don't just have estrogen and progesterone receptors in our uterus, right? We have that all throughout our body and all our cells and it affects our brain. It affects our breast development. It affects our heart development. Like it's, it's, it's really just a central part of being a woman. Yeah. Like that is really important. And so, I mean, we can also talk about what a healthy cycle looks like outside of the teenage years, but I feel like, yeah, it's obviously really important for us to know that like as for a young woman, her cycles need time to develop. And it it is normal for her not to have an automatic 28-day cycle every single cycle for the first few years after she started menstruating. But one of the takeaways I have, even just listening to this, is it's important to know what's regular, what's normal, and what sort of normal irregularities are so that you can be aware of what's you know, what's right, like what's right for, and I'm sure everybody's body is different. I mean, you hear that all the time that like no two cycles are the same. But to me, like this is all speaking to like if a young person, if a, if a teen knows, oh, like I have kind of an irregular cycle because I'm like new, this is new for me. It speaks to like this increased awareness already, like that they know about that, that they know that this is to be expected and that they have some sort of like conscious baseline for themselves about this sort of operating system in their body. So I I just already I think that that's like a nice foundation. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I, I do want to just quickly touch on the term irregular cycles, (laughs) because it's thrown around a lot. And the myth that every cycle should be 28 days is is very, very alive and well. And so, you know, for a woman of reproductive age, so kind of anywhere between approximately, you know, age 18 or 20, until, you know, she starts into her early 40s. I mentioned that the average cycle length is about 28, 29 days. But a healthy cycle can range in length, anywhere from about 24 days on the short end to say about 35 days on the long end. And then I mentioned that in adolescence, that can range up to 45 days. And so I think that I just wanted to touch on that term irregular because a lot of women, because we're taught that the cycles are always supposed to be 28 days, will assume that if their cycles are sometimes 33 days or sometimes even like 
31 days or something, that they're automatically irregular. And so I think it's also just helpful to know that the the actual definition of what would be considered irregular or problematic would be if the cycles are regularly over 35 days or even like approaching 35 days on the regular, like after you've passed that early maturation process. And also, if your cycles are regularly fluctuating more than about eight days from cycle to cycle. Mm -hmm. So if you're swinging from like 26 days to like 45 days, and then 32 days, and then 47 days or something like that, that's actually more on the the end of like what is actually irregular and Mm -hmm. what we should be looking at. And so for a teenager, with that in mind we can expect some cycle fluctuation. There's still a limit of what we would consider normal. Like if somebody stops bleeding for three months out of the year (laughs) and that happens kind of regularly and it doesn't really start to normalize. I mean, we can still identify like what would be normal, but I feel like we need to clarify that a little. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I'm glad you did. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break right here and then let's dive into that question a little bit more deeply. I'm Isis Ward, a body-positive parent and kids apparel director at Nike. I am also a proud patron of the Full Bloom podcast. In both my personal and professional life, I'm constantly striving to be more aware of the social and cultural influences in our kids' lives. The lessons I've learned from the Full Bloom podcast have helped me be a more conscious parent and a business leader. This is why I became an official patron and hope you will too. For less than the price of a latte, you too can support this incredible mission and keep the Full Bloom podcast going strong so that more of our children can fully bloom. As a gift for your patronage, the Full Bloom Project will send you their ABC guide to body positive parenting. This interactive resource is chock full of research and practical tips. It's been an invaluable resource to both my family and my team at Nike. To learn more about how you can claim your guide and join me in supporting this very important project, please visit fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And we're back. <laughs> well, I wonder, I wonder just, um, you know, as as we're talking a lot to, to parents, um, you know, in this concept of body positive parenting, which, you know, in this podcast, we're kind of, positing that it's important to um, educate your children about menstrual health, you know, and I'm just wondering if you can talk to parents a little bit right now just about your recommendations around, I guess, you know, our our major question of what's the one thing that as a parent they took away today with, but you can maybe answer a couple, more than one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, even just how to get this conversation going and really a practical directive for parents that may be listening and saying, yeah, like I want to work on my own fertility awareness and and I really want to be able to have that conversation with my kids. What's the one thing you would hope they could do? Well, I mean, there is one thing that I think is really, really helpful for all teenage girls to learn about. <laughs> um, and that's how to identify when ovulation is happening. So if there was one thing that I could teach every teenage girl, it would be about her cervical fluid. Mm -hmm. Um, So we didn't talk a ton about cervical fluid, but basically as we approach ovulation, we start making this cervical fluid and it can look in three main ways. So it can look like creamy white hand lotion. It can look like clear, stretchy, raw egg whites. And it can also, for some women, 
uh, when they're going to the bathroom and wiping themselves, they'll notice that there's a, a point in their cycles when it feels really slippery. Now, what's really, really cool about cervical fluid, and I think it, it would be so helpful, so many women just have never been taught about it, they don't know anything about it. A lot of women experience it and think that there's something wrong with them, they think it's discharge and a sign of an infection. <laughs> um, mm. So even just that practical aspect of knowing that it's a normal and healthy fluid, it's really essential for fertility. It um, without cervical fluid, the sperm couldn't reach where they're going. So it has some practical implications there. But in terms of a teenage girl, just imagine for a moment that all of us had been taught about our menstrual cycles. And we had been taught that, you know, cervical fluid is something that we produce as we approach ovulation. And that after we ovulate, our periods come about two weeks later, so about 12 to 14 days later. So just imagine if you had had this amazing conversation with your own mother, and she taught you like, okay, and this is how you can pay attention for it. And when you go to the bathroom, just, you know, when you're wiping, just pay attention. And if you ever feel mm -hmm. like it's slippery, just take a look at the toilet paper and see if there's anything there. So just imagine that you had that conversation with your mom, you haven't had your first period yet. And then you go to the bathroom and you start to see this clear stretchy stuff. And you're like, oh my gosh, mom, I saw my cervical fluid. Does that mean I'm going to ovulate soon? And you can say, well, yeah, you know, it's very possible that you could be ovulating soon. And then you see it for a couple of days, it goes away. And you're like, oh my goodness, I think I ovulated for the first time. You could actually experience that and then be prepared for your first period because the ovulation happens before the period. So mm. like I have this whole like in my perfect world, all girls would know about their cervical fluid and be learning about ovulation and how it's like a superpower and how this is how you make hormones and how it's a perfectly normal and natural part of being a woman and all of this stuff. And also you can predict when your period is coming, which is a huge problem and a huge issue for a lot of teenage girls, which is why a lot of teenage girls want to go on the pill because they don't want to be at school and get their period and have no idea. So right. even just that, because imagine, like instead of getting your period and be like, oh my God, I'm dying. <laughs> mm -hmm. What's wrong with me? Blah, blah, blah. And having to figure it out. Imagine being taught about cervical fluid so that you could actually, before your first period ever came, you knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah it's one of those things that's like, you can see talking to you why it's so important, but it's so stigmatized and taboo. Mm -hmm. and like, it's just not popular to to talk about. No, you know? the period shame is far more popular. I mean, and but I loved your answer because I think it really models for parents something that you could really do in the way that you might just prepare your kid for life and help them understand what they might expect, and just especially if you just do it in this like not nonchalant, but just sort of like wanted to let you know this is normal. This is what happens. Like, keep your eye on it. You sort of take the air out of it so that it's just something like just to know about your body. And then I mean, we know that the more we can know about our own bodies and sort of live our lives in our bodies and really experience life in an embodied kind of way, just the better outcomes all around. And so you are the only person to give us that answer. And it makes sense given <laughs> yeah. who, who you are. You're the first fertility awareness specialist to be here. But it's truly body positive parenting to be able to be brave enough to talk to your daughter about cervical, cervical fluid. fluid. Exactly. Well, and for what it's worth, I just wanted to say, because you mentioned we have a lot of body negativity and body shame and things like that. Whenever I'm like, if I'm out in a public situation, I don't go on about what I do, but people ask, right? Like, what do you do in this? If so, as soon as someone catches the wind about like what I'm, what I do, 
you know, all the women in the room are super excited to talk about their periods and their cycles and really pissed off that no one ever taught them and very interested to talk about. So even though it seems like, oh, my gosh, who'd want to talk about this stuff? Really, you just get yourself in a room with a bunch of ladies and yep. start talking about cervical fluid, and everyone has something to say. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> true. Everyone wants to talk about you, you, it. You're the ice. You, you, you just need exactly, and you can. You're the icebreaker because you're yeah. like, yeah, I'm really comfortable with talking about it. So yeah. hopefully, uh, our parent listeners will follow suit. We will definitely link to all your information about your book and your podcast on our show notes, so, so that our listeners that would like to learn more and hear more can find you. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'll just put out there the book is The Fifth Vital Sign. It's available on the Amazon. And then if anyone is interested in this conversation and wants to go like down the deep dive with vaginas and fertility awareness <laughs> and all that, the podcast is Fertility Friday. And it's in its fifth year, which is super fun. Wow. wow Congrats. That's amazing. Congratulations on that. Thanks. So that's our show. We would love to hear any reactions or questions that came up for you during this episode. So please send us an email at info at fullbloomproject.com. And if you don't follow us already on Instagram and you have an interest in potentially winning a free copy of Lisa's book, The Fifth Vital Sign, consider following us on Instagram at fullbloomproject. And we'll be featuring a giveaway. Mm-hmm. That's this right. Week. This week. Also... <laughs> Please, if you like what you're hearing, we would really appreciate you leaving us a rating or review on iTunes. That really helps more people find the podcast um, as we get more reviews. That's right. And also, of course, if you really love what you're hearing and you want to support us more formally, please consider becoming a patron by visiting us at fullbloomproject.com Patreon so we can continue to produce and deliver this content to you. Thank you all for listening and remember to tune back in next time for more body positive parenting wisdom. Mm-hmm.